this sweet smelling aroma which we use um, we could use it every Sunday I suppose but we use it on our high feast but I just want to kind of want you to catch it with the aroma for this multi-sensory serving which we don't usually do here we go just over here can you smell that in? yeah well the snow will waft here you go it'll come through Uh, it will you'll get it you'll get it so this is incense and here you go we traditionally sense the cross and the altar. Okay. Okay. Do you want to give that a few more swirls just to, kind of, just to kind of fill the room with the holy smoke? So frankincense um, has a long history, um, a long history that is salient to its commem- the way in which we commemorate its being given today. When God commanded Moses, 1,500 years before Christ, how he wanted to be worshipped, he laid out a very specific architectural plan, the tabernacle, and gave very specific instructions about what should be offered in the tabernacle. Um, and the, there's the slaughtering of animals at the altar, and there's these different feasts in which they're kept. Brilliant. Thank you, Deacon. Can you also? Can you kind of we'll kind of hang this here. <laughs> Daisy's not a fan. Um, so, God prescribed among the very specific offerings that he commanded Moses to give, he commanded the offering of incense in a special altar of incense that was constructed, actually right about the same size as this table, that was placed in no insignificant part inside the tabernacle. It was placed front and center. When the priests of Aaron, um, when they walked in, 
the first thing you'd see in your line of sight was the altar of incense. And it was butted up right against the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And so the incense, and God commanded that incense be offered not just once a year, not once a season, but every morning and every evening. He said, put incense on that incense altar before me. It was a commanded offering. So for 1,500 years, except for the 70 years when the temple was destroyed, for 1,500 years, Israel faithfully offered incense to the Lord. You'll recall even in the nativity story, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, what was he appointed by Lot to do in Luke 1? Offer incense. It's the same commanded offering. And the angel that speaks to him and tells him about his miracle son who's going to be born, it says, is standing by the right-hand side of the altar of incense. So this has been a very meaningful feature of the worship of God for a millennium and a half before Christ came. Downstream from the commandment to Moses, emerged in Greco-Roman culture that they kind of intuited that incense was a good thing to offer even to their fake gods, to the idols of the pantheon, that when Paul says he walked around Athens and he saw all these idols, saw all these fake gods, they, at the feet of each of those idols would have been offerings of incense. There would have been kind of hot coals kept and people would kind of bring and just throw a pinch of incense on and incense was just ubiquitous in the ancient world and it had been fully made synonymous with something you offer to God. That was just like a universal understanding. I'm sure there's some cultural equivalent, but I didn't have the insight to think of it for today. And this makes sense, right, because it's got this great symbolism. It's something solid, you place on the coal, and it turns into smoke, and then kind of vanishes into the ether above. It has this sort of built-in symbolism of ascent, right, of something going up to where God um, symbolically is framed as being up. So that's um, sort of the back history. Let's look then now at the specific giving of incense from the Magi to the Christ child. Did you catch how it was prophesied in Isaiah 60? They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. It was prophesied that Gentiles would bring frankincense as in fact they did when the Magi came. And the symbolism it's really multi-layered with this incense. It symbolizes, first of all, something about who it's being given to. Right? Since the time of Moses, and even in the pagan sensibilities, you give incense to, or well, the pagans thought, a god, but Jewish people knew to the god. And so by bringing incense, the Magi are recognizing this is no ordinary mortal. Right? The depth to which they understood the incarnation, we don't know. But they knew he was more than a mortal, that he was at least a god, and of course, Jews and Christians, we knew that we now know that he is the God. It also says something about the offerer. Because prior to Jesus receiving these gifts, the Christ child receiving these gifts from the Magi, God did not accept the offerings of Gentiles. God said there's only one kind of people who he will accept the offering from, Jews. And there was only one place on the planet that they could make acceptable offering, and that was first the tabernacle and then the temple as it got established in Jerusalem. One people, one place, those were the only offerings. The whole Old Testament is like really explicit about this, right? Israel is constantly actually dishonoring God and offending him when they're sort of wandering off trying to do it in different ways, or even the same thing but in the wrong way. Anyways, all these Old Testament stories. But now... An offering is being accepted by God, Jesus Christ who is God, that's from the Gentiles, and it's welcome. And this is a new day. No. It's a signal, 
right from the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, that we Gentiles are being included in the true worship of God, being included among God's people. That's the pay of the Feast of the Epiphany, that we are part of it. We non-Jews are a part of the saving plan of God. I feel like when we, in the Isaiah reading that we heard read, St. Paul is almost sort of stammering with the wonder of it. In Ephesians 3, verse 6, the mystery is, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This blew every Jewish person's mind when it was revealed in Christ Jesus, that non-Jews were welcomed, accepted, are actually a part of the self-same people, God's chosen people. So bringing this up to today, as Gentiles, our offering to God is accepted. And we use the resin of incense as a symbol, but God's not asking for our resin. Right? He's asking for our prayers. And that's what Scripture shows us. That because incense was constantly burning in the tabernacle, which was the place where the priest went to pray on behalf of Israel, prayer and incense, the sort of deep symbolism of the two, got woven together. We see it in the Old Testament and in the New. In Psalm 141 it says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. Isn't that a beautiful poetic image? An image which gets even further amplified when John in the book of Revelation is given a vision of heaven. And three times he sees in the book of Revelation the prayers of the saints and the smoke of incense being offered by angels up to the throne of God. Prayer and incense woven together. God doesn't want our resin. He wants our prayers, which the resin symbolizes. This is actually a theme um, I've been personally really struck by, um, you know, as we're always reading the Psalms as Anglicans. It's just a thing that's, you know, different themes kind of stick out in different seasons, but how often God speaking through the psalmist is kind of ending the psalm saying, just pray. It really stuck out to me in Psalm 116, where I'm paraphrasing here, but the sense of Psalm 116 is... Well, this is not a paraphrase. This is a quote. But in Psalm 116, it says, What shall I do unto the Lord for all the benefits he has done unto me? I will call upon the name of the Lord. And it doesn't seem in our minds, in our logic, like that's some commensurate exchange. Like he's given me eternal life and salvation and I'm just going to pray. But that, if you look for it in the Psalms all the time. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will call on the name of the Lord. A way of describing prayer. We imitate the Magi not by offering incense, although that's fun to do, especially it's fun for Scott Lewick to do. <laughs> He's been our thoroughfare in years past and filled this place with smoke, well, the other buildings. Um, it's not just the, the sensory delight of literal incense. We imitate them by bringing our prayers to God. And this should have a small confounding quality, like, wait, we honor him by asking stuff? And yes, that's what God is saying. But rather than just trying to carve out our own life to live as children in relationship with their father, asking him for stuff. Those of you who, like me, are in the phase of having little kids, your kids ask you stuff all the time. And in my flesh, sometimes it's sometimes a few too many questions, but the Lord um, doesn't have sinful flesh. He is infinitely patient. 
and always listening to us. And he wants us to bring our needs to him. And there's one um, other detail about incense that I think is not a stretch to also interpret, which is that incense always requires the heat of a coal, right, to transform powder resin into this fragrant smoke, this, this pleasing aroma. And I think just so, we need a catalyst to transform just things we want and things that are like we desire into prayer to the Lord. And that catalyst is, is I want to offer the interpretation, the coal is, is love. A twofold love. One, loving God enough to maintain and continue in relationship, but also loving the thing that we're praying for. I find so often my prayers, I feel like I'm filing in my own flesh. Like I'm filing paperwork at the county office or the DMV or something. Like, oh Lord, please heal that person. Please make this better. There's so little love in it. And I'm embarrassed by this fact. The prayers, the way the saints pray is earnestly asking God, God, please, please heal this person. Please provide for this need. To actually, out of love, long for it with empathy for the need that is to be met. Love is the coal that really makes the aroma of our expressed desire to God like frankincense, sweet and pleasing. I want to um, close with just also connecting the image that when, when Moses offered frankincense on the altar of incense, he was taking something from nature and giving it back to God symbolically, right? So, but the cycle begins with God, who makes the tree, that makes the resin, that then is placed on the altar, that he's commanded. You know, that God is the beginning and the end of the, of the cycle. It's the same thing in our prayer life, actually, too. He is the one, through his Holy Spirit in us, who empowers us to pray to him. And even more specifically, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah gets a vision of heaven. And it says that a seraphim took a coal, which, by the way, would come from an altar of incense, the heavenly archetype of which the tabernacle was the copy, took a coal from an altar in heaven and brought it down and touched his lips. Do you all know that passage? I see if you know. I see. I, I saw one head no, so I'm going to get to read it because it's so incredible. Thank you, honest person who said no. In the year that, this is Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke, the smoke of incense. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. 
what we have here is this incredibly heavenly experience that Isaiah was privileged to have. A prophetic image that all of the church fathers interpret as a picture of Holy Communion. A hot coal, I think metaphorically hot, coming down from heaven and being placed on our lips and cleansing us. But I want to take the metaphor even further. Because it's a coal from an altar of incense, to think about in this Holy Communion that we're about to receive, the Lord, as it says in Romans, is shedding abroad His love in our hearts, the warmth of love, the heat of a coal, so that we would pray more fervently. Communion is one of the reasons God gave us communion, is to strengthen our faith, to increase our love, that we would pray fervently and earnestly today in the week ahead until we gather again, to be strengthened again by this great feast. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. That's what incense, why we treasure incense as a symbol in the church, because it signifies all of these things, the prophetic imagery, the offering of prayers, the sweet smell of true and pleasing worship to God. Amen.